0: to Soap, a story of the Tates and the Campbells, whose
1: normal life is anything but normal, with co-hosts Tom Diamond, Vicki Ray, Jesse Fultz, and Keith Chowgo. Soap operas come and go, but there has never been a soap opera like Soap. Literary License Podcast and part of our SOAP presentation we are interviewing Dinah Manoff. Hello Dinah, welcome to the Literary License Podcast.
2: Hello. Hi Dinah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and with me I'm interviewing Dinah today is Vicki Ray. Hello Vicki.
2: Hi everybody.
1: So how are you doing today um, Dinah?
3: I am doing just fine. Thank you. I am on beautiful Bainbridge Island in Washington and I'm having a lovely morning so far. I've had my coffee, so I'm ready to go. It's still <laughs> early there, kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's just 9.30. Where well, are you? It says here that... Dallas. Oh. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Vicky and I'm in London, England.
3: Oh. Oh, wow. So, oh, that's yeah. so wacky. Okay.
1: yeah it's amazing what modern technology can do now
2: we grew up in the same hometown well kind of he he ditched us and went british when he was like young
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so i thought what we do is um we'll talk about your career and your childhood and what better way to start is in the beginning and it's like um you are the daughter of lee grant the writer director and actress, um, actress, and the screenwriter Arnold Manoff. Um, What was your childhood like?
3: Uh, Tense. (laughs) Tense. (laughs) I was born into a blacklisted home. My father was a blacklisted screenwriter, and my mother was a blacklisted actress. Uh, She had been blacklisted for not naming my father, and so the atmosphere in our home was not very Leave It to Beaver. It was like, you know, it, it, it was like um, a black and white movie with a lot of cigarette smoke going through the room. <laughs> Men scribbling on yellow legal pads. You know, it's it was very uh, intense. And um, uh, my father uh, was unable to work and my mother was unable to work. And so my father um, uh, got... Um, with two other writers, they hired kind of a flunky to um, go out and sell screenplays for them. And then they were ghostwriting the screenplays behind the scenes. Oh, oh. And that was the basis of the movie called the front. Wow. Starring Woody Allen as the flunky.
2: Wow. Yeah. Interesting. A
3: little trivia, a little blacklist
2: trivia, a little blacklist trivia. We've talked to other people that had similar experience with their childhood.
1: And, what did your parents think when you decided to go into acting? Were they um, you well, know,
3: you know, were they
1: forthcoming? They were happy my, about it, or they tried to.
3: My mother, uh, my 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 father uh, passed away when I was nine, so that wasn't uh, an issue there. Um, my mother, you know, I don't think in the beginning that my mother thought that I was going to be commercially viable because I wasn't really an ingenue and, um, I was also kind of a juvenile delinquent in my teen years. So, you know, I didn't like put in the big work. I wasn't taking things really seriously, um, as she had done. And, um, and when I started to get work, I think it was very surprising to her, you know? Um, and, uh, she was very, in those days, she was supportive, but very, very hard on me. Very hard on me. Um, something that I, uh, in later years, trained her out of. And now she's just a pussycat.
1: <laughs> you spent your new, um, teenage years in New York City in Malibu, California. Um, what do you... How would you compare the two, um, growing up into quite diverse ways of growing up, the New York way and the California way?
3: Hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> gee, I, you know, first of all, when we moved to New York, I was nine years old. I mean, I'm sorry, when we moved to Malibu, I was nine years old. Up until then, I had been raised in a neighborhood where everyone was Jewish, Black, Puerto Rican, Italian, Irish. Just yeah. <laughs> Then we moved to Malibu Colony, where everyone was blonde and quiet and repressed. <laughs> so, you know, I had spent my time in Malibu trying to fit in. Um, really, I was a square, square peg trying to get into that round little surfer girl hole. and um you know on the other hand the beach was marvelous and beautiful and
2: the colony
3: in those days in the 60s was really interesting I mean Carrie Grant, Diane Cannon, you know Jack Warden I mean it was filled with really interesting um, artists and filmmakers and partying and Smoking, drinking, never thinking, the cast of Peyton Place. I mean, Ryan (laughs) O'Neill and Mia Farrow. And so there was an aliveness there uh, artistically. But as a kid growing up, it was not so good for me in those years. I can can
1: imagine that um, when there's an aesthetic that California tends to produce, it must be, you know, we don't feel like you can fit into that aesthetic. It must be quite difficult.
3: Well, I think it's different now, but when we were there, you know, Malibu was not um, the, the luxury uh, site of, you know, rich people. I mean, the colony had artists and actors, but the rest of Malibu was really just a middle class um, town. Most of the people there were uh, aircraft workers. Rand McNally was the big company. And so yeah. it was a very different time.
2: I read somewhere. I read that you said that you loved being a troublemaker at Santa Monica High and you would smoke on campus and go barefoot. <laughs> Where did you need that? <laughs> I mean, it was time, on your right? I, IMDb page. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <Lauren>. <laughs> okay, well,
3: that's true. <laughs> I admit it. Yes, I was a troublemaker. I was a troublemaker. It's true. I was. I was a a wild child.
1: And it looks like in the 1970s, you started your role in acting. Um, What actually started you interested in acting to begin with?
3: Uh, I was completely unqualified to do anything else. That's the truth. That's the truth. I was um, uh, I didn't like going to school. I did a year and a half of, um, college at Cal arts where I mostly, you know, was a troublemaker <laughs> <again>. <laughs> and, um, and I didn't want to be in school. I didn't have the discipline and, uh, you know, what I had was I had talent and I had chutzpah, right. Um, And I started going out on auditions and I went, started going to acting class periodically because I was not a good student. I I was not a person who could sit still, you know, and, but I went on auditions and for whatever reason, I caught on as a great sidekick and character actor. Um, And so I began to work and the work really fed me. I mean, the work gave me an identity for the first time that I felt connected to. Um, I was about um, 19 when I started working and uh, soap was my bi- first big job. You know, I had a couple of little jobs, I guess, start on Welcome Back Cotter. I
2: was going to ask you about that. What was that like? I love that show.
3: Well, <laughs> it was like, you know, I don't know. I-, I-, I have this with Welcome Back Cotter and soap, which I'll talk to you about, but, it was like at that time, Welcome Back Cotter was like the hot show on television. And right. I everybody including me was glued to it. And everybody including me was in love with John Travolta.
2: Right. So when I
3: got the job on Welcome Back Cotter, you know, I was so intimidated and so excited. And the part was that I asked Vinnie Barberino, played by Travolta, to the dance, but he turns me down and I go with Horschak. It's just kind of like the story of my acting career. Always sure it was a Sidney Hawkins dance, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> she ends up with Horshack. Up with
2: Horshack was very lovable, though. He was a darling. He was darling, but he, but he wasn't Barbarino. That's, this is true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that actually brings us to Soap, and your iconic role is Elaine Dallas. Um, what? um when we had jennifer salt with us and we interviewed her
3: oh you had jennifer oh, great yeah. yeah we go yeah. Way, way, way back we go back to the commie days of new york with blacklisted parents <laughs> right and we're all friends <laughs> we're like we're yeah but
1: she was saying um because she said when she did something she really really enjoyed and it was fantastic acting but she felt like um kind of out of place because you had these fantastic great comedic giants like Richard Mulligan and yeah, and the thing is like and you always had to be on your guard because you just never knew where these people were going so you kind of have to like be in the um into that um in in the moment with them and then you came in in the middle of season one as um I think I came in on season
3: two season two, season two,
1: with two. That, I think it was season
3: two. Oh yeah. yeah that's um yeah. yeah that's
1: true with um yes. Danny's of interest um so what was it like to come into a well-established cast as a a new character
3: elaine
2: lefkowitz
3: (laughs) elaine lefkowitz again it was like (laughs) walking into the pages of like a book you had been reading and i was like oh my god there's bert there's mary (laughs) you know there's the puppet (laughs)
2: <laughs> the oh my god! It's I mean, so funny. It, was, it
3: really was like that, you know. Again, because it was an iconic show, and we were all watching it, so to get a job on it was like crazy, you know. And and because I was such a new actor, mostly I was just intimidated. A lot of my early career, <laughs> really mm-hmm. intimidated, and um, uh, working with that caliber. Of actors was remarkable. I mean, that was really like whoa. I mean, I knew I was I was in a place of privilege then. You know, I, I was honored to be there. I was honored to be saying Susan Harris's words because she was so brilliant and yes, writing was. stuff that nobody else was writing. Um, and and at that character, it was the first time that I felt the character fit me like a glove, you know, That to be l- this loud, Jewish, you know, <laughs> mean. <laughs> obnoxious. <laughs> you know, it's obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to play with that part of myself was so freeing, you know, to not, because in in those days as a young actress, mostly I was trying to repress myself, keep myself down. Make my nose smaller. Make myself petiter and quieter. Yeah. Because those were the roles I was going up for. So here was a chance to just blare, you know, right. trumpet my my meals stuff, you know. Does that make sense?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And you did it well. I've because been trumpeting, you're, ever since, trumpeting ever since. You've been trumpeting ever since. But you're, you're, you're comedic. You know, with with Danny, though that how you guys played off each other. You know, his anxiety and and you're just you know hanging in there, just sticking it to him the whole time. Yeah. and that role. I mean, it's it's just fun to watch. It really is.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: You
1: also had to do a lot of like um, physical comedy with it as well. Was that your first um, shot of doing physical comedy? Because was a lot first, of them.
3: it. Was my first everything. I mean, it really was. I mean, it was. You know. I think it was good that I didn't know what I was doing a lot of the time because I didn't, I didn't put the brakes on a lot. I, I wouldn't have known where to put the brakes on. You know, I just went with my instincts and, uh, and I, I think it served the character. Well, mm-hmm. I, 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 I often wish I could have gone back later with more training. I, I think I, there were things that I wish I had been able to mine more once I really understood the craft of acting, which right. that I was just flying by the seat of my little pants, you know.
1: Mm. Uh, I mean I really love that character. And I had to sit there I and say it. that I was really saddened that when she turned her new leaf, but then she left. It was,
3: I know. She
1: had her demise.
3: Yeah, but then she went off and did grease. So she so was oh, True, you did. <laughs> Yeah, no, but- actually, I think it was the reverse, but I can't remember. Greece, Greece was Greece. 78, 1978. So, yeah. no, so soap was first. Soap was, yeah.
1: First. yeah, and then of course, you got to be in a movie with John. Tultavini. Yep, there you go. Full <laughs> circle. Yeah. What was shooting Grease like? Was it more of like an ensemble, on shooting, or was it more, um, Everyone kind of did their part and went back to the trailer situ- kind of situation. Shooting. No,
3: it was very raucous and joyous and funny and fun and crazy and unpredictable. Um, I think that, you know. The, the script was so good, you know, it was so cat. That's Darwin. <laughs> our, that's our fat cat. <laughs> <laughs> our, our other cat's thin, not all oh, my cat are obese. Um, it it was it was really like professional summer camp honest to god and um there there wasn't a lot of uh angst in the filming i had angst but i I still have (laughs) i was born with angst i had angst because um it was a musical i'm not a dancer as Evident by the way they hide me in the dance numbers. You'll see. Um, mm-hmm. I I uh, I was um, you know trying to. I, I really felt like I was faking my way through most of it. But but we had such a good time as a group. You know the like the Sandra D scene, which which is my favorite. That's that's my favorite scene that I partook in because I felt really, really there with those women. We really were the bad girls and Olivia really was the goody, goody two shoes in real life. (laughs) So, you know, so it was very authentic for us to be just giggling and torturing her and, you know, doing our boob exercises (laughs) to shock her because she was Olivia, not Sammy was so easily shocked in those days that it was just, You know, we all had this little devil in our eyes doing the doing the scene with her. So
2: um,
3: so I, I always feel like, yeah, that was that was the one where
2: I was really there. You know, I always got a kick out of that one scene when you were with Vince Fontaine. Yeah, you know, and he was asking what your name was, God, yeah. Marty Maraschino. You know, isn't Jerry? In Jerry. <laughs> because you're just so funny. The way he's looking at you, the way you know you're looking at him. Yeah, My mother still busts out laughing every time that one scene comes out. That was guess, a fun scene. Eddie Burns was great.
3: He just passed away this last year. Oh, like, guys, he, was, I he was a fabulous dude, and uh, he looked like
2: a lot of fun.
3: He was <laughs> he was a lot of fun? Yeah.
1: I find it funny that once Olivia Newton John's um, character changes in Greece, then um, the pop world, her music also changed. <laughs> she became more sexier, didn't she? Yeah, she from yeah please, that's true.
2: That's true. She funny. went from please, yeah.
1: please, Mr. Please to Totally Hot and Physical,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> so on and so forth. I far.
2: think that's <laughs> true.
3: And Olivia, once they sewed her into those pants, boy, I mean, we all, it really was jaw dropping for all of us. None <laughs> of us could see that side of a
2: role like, what? <laughs> i she didn't know how they got anybody huh? anybody she's so thin anyway at that point it's like how did they get her in those pants literally sew them, them on her, her yeah. did they really yeah they sewed her in and then
3: they'd I have know. to seam rip so she could go to the bathroom
2: yeah oh my goodness that, that is wild i did not know that what you it's, do for performance oh my god i guess that so. well, they looked very good on her yeah yes they did yes they
1: did <laughs> Then it looks like from the 1980s after um, Greece, and you went into the Broadway I ought to be in pictures working with the Neil Simon play. What was your um, experiences on Broadway?
3: You know, honestly, I was the luckiest young actress in the world. And at the time, I just didn't know it. You know, we get the gift of retrospect as we get older, as I'm sure you know. And I look back and I think, I wish I had known then how extraordinary that moment was while I was living it rather than in retrospect, because um, it, it was amazing. And Herb Ross was directing and Herbert, Herbert could be a very tough taskmaster, but he was also brilliant and he really taught me to act for the first time. You know, they hired me for this role based on my, basically my nature, you know, basically on who I was in the room. And also, <laughs> I had been cueing my mother on Neil Simon scripts from the time I could read because she'd done two Neil Simon plays. She did um, uh, um, Plaza Suite and Prisoner Second Avenue when I was a kid. And so that language and that rhythm was inherent to me. I could sing it. And so, and Neil l- looked for that in because he wrote such specific rhythms and pauses and, you know, ba dum His jokes were very, very finely crafted. And I brought that in. But what I didn't have was the chops to do uh, uh, seven, eight shows a week <laughs> for a year. <laughs> and Herbert Ross really taught me to be an actress who had discipline and craft. And, uh, and, and part of that was painful. And part of that was amazing. And um, it was transformational for me. Um, working with Neil, Neil, you could not change a word, a comma, an apostrophe with Neil. So you, you had to be very um, specific. And what Herb Ross taught me was specificity, that every sentence, every line had to be meaningful to me in some way. I couldn't just blab, you know, and be cute and funny. And and that changed my changed my my create create creative life and process.
1: I mean it's a Neil Simon is really speaks for couple you know about three or four decades wasn't he where he was i mean you know everything from the beginning of his career all the way to the end and it's it's kind of a shame that we don't really we're kind of lacking we're not lacking a neil simon for the millennial aren't we really
3: yes yes i think that's true and i think that it will be interesting to see what what incarnation that brings because um neil was poignant without telling you you know this is a poignant moment i mean he found his his tragedy and comedy and and so you could laugh and cry at the same time you know you would find yourself screaming with laughter and then you know oh, and then he'd come and hit you you know in the heart mm. so he was an um, amazing talent amazing writer there's
1: always and i there's always such a a depth with his characters as well. Yeah. Such a there's always even if one you know, they look like they might be surface, but there's always a deep, deep well going on with every single right. one of his characters.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And this actually led to winning the Tony Award for yeah. Best Performance by a Featured Actress in a Play. So yeah, what yeah.
2: Don't forget the Theater <laughs> World Award, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, that was a big surprise.
2: I <laughs> <laughs> really. That Definitely relish that moment. (laughs)
3: Yeah, Yeah, I did. But again, again, if it were to happen later now, I I was so taken aback by everything. Honest to God, I just wasn't all that, you know, I would say I was kind of body adjacent to all of it. You know, like it was almost like watching it happen to someone else it was almost too much to take in for me at that time in my life. You know, I was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, it was a lot.
2: Quite an achievement though.
1: Mm-hmm. And then you got to do the movie version of the, that you did on Broadway. What was that like? Cause I mean, there are two major, you know, especially if you're quite used to doing it, you know, it wasn't doing fun. It one way.
3: It wasn't fun. It was suddenly, for me, in, at least in my mind, I felt so much pressure to be brilliant. And I felt so tight in front of camera. I didn't have what I had on stage. On stage, I was just free from the moment I walked on stage. I I really, like, I'd walk on stage and I'd walk off and the play would have happened. I, I, I found you know, real freedom in acting on stage that when it came to that camera being on and those people watching and zoomed in like that, I didn't have it. It was terrifying to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the good news was Walter Matthau and Anne Margaret because being with them was so extraordinary. Herbert was directing, but Herbert had taken a, a with this movie that was not the play he went very dark with it he decided to make it a drama (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm.
3: and so that also put a weight onto the material that that with the combination of I think my anxiety and that kind of weight sparks did not fly in my opinion and uh yeah, it, 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 I did not have a good time filming. You also think
1: that maybe also that when you do a stage show that you have control of your performance, you can mediate it the way you meet um, your performance. But when it comes to a film, that's actually taken away from you. That's actually in charge. That's actually left with the editor and the director to. Cut and paste what they want from you instead of what your performance should be.
3: Yes, and you can't build your performance because Mm. you're filming the end of the play in the second week and you're filming the beginning of the play at the end. And, you know, so there's, so unless you have a a tremendous amount of um, experience and confidence, which I did not have at that point, I mean, it's, I put it on me. I just didn't have it. I was really thrown. And and I wanted so badly to be good. And that's a killer because I was self-conscious. I wanted to be good and I wanted to be pretty. And that's killer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because then you're judging yourself all the
2: time. Right. You
1: also think that also, you also had the pressure of, you know, you did the show, you got great, you know got, um, great critical um, acclaim for that show then you win the Tony then you do the movie and then there's like this huge expectation now
3: yeah, of course yes that was all that yes mm-hmm. yeah and then the reviews came out and they weren't good and 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 it was very very painful I mean it was very very painful it, mm-hmm. it took me a long I've time I've actually seen
1: that movie I actually enjoyed the movie, though. I mean, I've never seen the show on stage, so. but I actually did enjoy the movie. I remember when it was on HBO, and I think I watched it like eight or nine
3: times. What is wrong with you?
1: I don't know. Well, you would have liked
3: it better on stage. That's all I can tell.
1: Yeah, well, most things are better on stage anyway. They are. It's very rare that a movie actually beats out a a stage performance. But I think it was... um, I mean, if you know, if we're gonna be honest and not sound like a super fan here, but I always found that with your performances that when I watched them, that there was a likability about you that it kind of just always warmed me and I always I would always watch your performances and just very, very enjoyed them. I just really I agree. It's like, it's um. You always kind of gave it a performance, and even when you're playing the the, the snotty person in soap, and, you, you were know,
2: still so likable. and still so likable,
1: can... and you always gave it a performance that oh, I would like to get to know her, and I could really be friends with her. That kind yeah. of <laughs> yes, all that you, kinda, that you kind of you exuded. <laughs> it, it <laughs> <happens>. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's true, it though. Thought. I mean, I could have said it better myself. Even even if you were being, you know, you know, like Carol, or you know. Uh, Lepkowitz or whatever you're playing, there was something warm and likable still about you. You still wanted to you you were so cute and likable, you know, and you were you could tell you were funny, you had but you were bubbly and you had all this energy and you did bring it to your roles. And and it is noticeable. It's extremely noticeable. That's what you were were so likable. You had an energy that a lot of people don't, you know, convey to the to the viewer or you know to any of us that are watching. And it's, it's very, it's, it endears you to people instantaneously. Well,
3: I, I send you both big Zoom hugs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, this also, though, I mean, though I ought to be in um, pictures, um, from what you're saying, the, the film didn't live up to the, the stage production of it. But you also end up doing an Oscar-winning movie called Ordinary People yeah. playing Timothy Hutton's um, friend. What was that? What's like being on that? Because Robert Redford was pretty new to directing at that point, wasn't he?
3: I have a good story for you about that. It's actually very interesting. Um, So I shot one day on that movie. They brought me into Chicago. Uh, I had screen tested for it. I I believe, according to what I was told, that the part came down to between me and Marie Osmond.
2: No kidding.
3: Yeah. He was either going to go that way, like so unexpected, you know, that it could be someone like that. Also, they all lived in Utah. So I think there was something about that too. And, uh, or me, I got the part. And um, so they brought me into Chicago to film for one day. And um, I loved Timmy. I mean, he was just amazing. Um, and so we shot the scene one way and, and then it was Timmy, the camera turned around on Timmy and, uh, no, no, no. We shot the scene one way and then Redford wasn't getting from me what he wanted, which was big turns of mood and I didn't understand how to do it. So he had me shoot the scene all happy, and then he had me shoot the scene all down. Wow. And he edited together that performance, which was genius to do. And so, and I actually, you know, that's a story that in the old days embarrassed me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And now I just love to tell because it's so amazing that he knew to do that with me. And um, and it's a great scene. It's 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 iconic, you know. Really, um, they use it in you know uh, acting classes all the time. They have That's the team work on this scene because it is such a complex little scene to play.
2: You, you know? were suicidal, weren't you, um, the character?
3: Yeah, she commits suicide in the. Not a spoiler. I mean, the movie's pretty. Yeah. Old, but yeah.
1: <laughs> Did you get to meet Mary Tyler Moore? At, I didn't. At all?
3: Uh, um, later in life i did <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not on the set as i said i was in when i was out you know it was one it was a one scene shot mm-hmm. one
1: shot i so often they often wonder what she must have been like on that cuz i mean she was the everyday Good girl on television, yeah. you know, the whole history yeah. of this. And this is, I mean, this is the one role that basically a switch no the whole character and <laughs> you know, her whole understanding. What a, this smart, is
3: like, what a smart career choice for, for her. Oh. How smart of her to show that she was really an actress.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have to say, it's like, I remember watching it and I was like going, I mean, she wasn't likable, but she was a bloody good actress.
3: Yeah. Like, don't you think, though, it helped? <laughs> I mean, like if you had, you know, like like Louise Fletcher playing Nurse Ratchet in in Cuckoo's Nest, you didn't have anything else to base your reaction to her on. You're, she was right. just awful. But with Mary Tyler Moore playing this role, you can't undo what you know about her. So mm. it gives you some built-in compassion. What a genius casting that was, right? Yeah. So that you well, yeah, don't I'm really hate good. Her, Right. True. And, uh, so and it also
1: freed her up to do so many different roles later on exactly. as well.
3: Yeah.
1: So smart. Brilliant. And then in 1985, you moved on to God, a still show a on 80s. Broadway.
2: <laughs> you were busy for many decades. <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: that I'm a huge fan of, and Come on have a contract and it regularly. Leader of the Leader pack. I was
3: oh, Broadway. <laughs> oh God, do we have stories about that? Probably none of which I can tell here.
1: <laughs>
3: I, Michael Peters was our director, choreographer. He became a very, very close friend of mine. I miss him. I uh, am. Yeah. I miss him. You know that was at the uh, peak of, uh, of the AIDS pandemic, and so many of the beautiful. Dancers and actors from that period are not here. That's what I think of when I think of leader, and I think yeah. of how if only it had been twenty years later, they would have yeah. had the antivirals and the the medicine, so that they mm. these young men, these beautiful talents, would still be here. It was um, <laughs> leader was kind of a marvelous fiasco. <laughs> Ellie Greenwich was awesome. Darlene Love was stupendous. Patrick and I didn't get along. But in later years, we made up. Um, I was, again, intimidated and insane. (laughs) And blonde, platinum blonde. (laughs) And, uh, And trying to dance and sing which are really not my strongest points <laughs> my talent. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's not like you would say, who is the best singer and dancer we know for this part? Dianna off would not walk. <laughs> <pull up. laughs> but that was what was demanded. It was really hard. And, um, oh, my God, it was so hard. Anne Beats had written the book. I'm telling you everything. You know, he just pulled it all out of me. I don't know. <laughs> I <be> <laughs> My filter's gone. Anyway, Annie wrote the book. She and Michael hated each other. It was so crazy. And um and there was magic in the mu- in the music. Real magic in the music. That's why I think you love the soundtrack. Um but what ended up on stage was kind of patchy And if you don't know Yiddish, that means kind of just like, you
1: know. It lacked a well-flowing script. That yeah.
3: it, it, it definitely. <laughs>
2: <was. It laughs> works.
3: So Anne Beats had walked off and they had hired someone wonderful. Now I can't remember his name. It's probably on the liners. Um, they had hired another writer. And some of us were paying comics by the joke to give us something to say on stage. That's how patchwork it was. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it didn't work. It, it, mm. it just didn't work. And, um, but. I mean,
1: I've, I've read the, um, the play script, so I have read it. So yeah. I'm, okay. I, and it's, I guess that's, It's an odd show. I mean, to be honest, it kind of the beginnings of the jukebox musical, really, if you think of it that way. Now, the jukebox musical is such a big thing on Broadway and around the world Mm -hmm. with Mamma Mia and Rock of Ages and so on and so forth. But I have to say that it's kind of an odd show because you're kind of like dealing with the life of Ellie Greenwich. And you know, her relationship with Jeff Berry and the way that breaks apart. The but then you have Ella right. coming out every night as herself. So yeah. now so now you have a show that's that's kind of hard to put on anywhere else. I, mean, I can't very, imagine the tour very show. Very. <laughs>
3: well, you know, it started off Broadway as a tiny little almost cabaret. Um, and it was very successful. And it should have stayed. You know, it should have run mm. its life there. It was very comfortable doing that, and um, you know, trying to blow it up and to be the next um, dream girls it just didn't work it just
1: right work. i actually have to ask you what was it like working with annie golden
3: she's a i'm nice.
1: a huge fan of Andy she's golden. a
3: genius she should get her to come on your show she's a very nice person
1: uh i mean assassins when she plays squeaky from and, and in the movie hair
3: oh. in the movie Hair, she's so incredible and in uh, orange is the new black you know yeah. she's yeah she's a- She's fabulous and a great, great talent. And when she did her number of leader of the pack on stage, it worked. She, Mm. she knocked that number right out. She was great. Yeah. And
1: kind uh, and nice. Yeah. She, she can um, sell snow to the Eskimos with her singing voice. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, she's singing a love song about, you know, killing somebody for Charles Manson and Assassins and she gets away with it. Not many people can do that. So the,
2: not um, too many people can pull it off, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> but I also have to sit there and say that one thing that leader of the pack go giving birth to the G-Box musical, which you know later on do quite well. But it's also one of the first musicals that actually would make a music video. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, released it to MTV and VH1.
3: Why well, don't? Because actually got oh, to make a vh I do video. remember that. That's right. We did shoot that weird video.
2: That weird video. All about,
3: all about that.
2: The MTV days. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, look for that. It's probably yeah. on YouTube. I'm sure. I'm sure probably.
1: you're right. But yeah, I, I, I kind of remember seeing that. I was like, oh my god, they're actually playing a. Broadway, because it was like a medley, wasn't it? of The show sort yeah, of thing, like, uh-huh. you know, within a 30, 30 minute Murph medley of the show done in music video. And I think they had you all riding up on um, <laughs> some motorcycles some, up some, Broadway, Broadway into the theater.
3: Yeah, shut, I, I, <laughs> I literally forgot about it until you just said it. I, it was gone from my memory. Mm-hmm.
2: Now you have something to look up. Can we get to the 90s?
3: Well, we, uh, got, we got, got to
2: talk about 1988 when you played Maggie Peterson in Child's Play. Oh.
1: In Child's Play, we got to, I mean, you, you are. I mean, you're you now. Can't
2: get out of that one.
1: You're part of horror horror royalty
2: now. I, I mean, know. You- yeah.
3: Chucky, Chucky's first victim. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. He just yeah.
2: kind of launched you out the window.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Actually, that was a fun shoot. How it much was- of that did you get to do? falling out the well, they wanted me to do more. They actually wanted me to be the person who crashed through the glass. I mean, they make it sugar, it's sugar spun, and um, I said uh, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Pass.
3: They said, um, "Well, you know, let's set it up and you try it." And so um, they set it up on a sound stage, um, and I tried it and I got cut, and I said no. I'm not doing that. I'm not I am not stunt material. Just not. <laughs> and so um so they had me fall backwards and then they had the stunt person do the um, do the crash through. Yeah.
1: What was it like for working with Katherine Hicks? For sure. What was Catherine it like working Hicks? with Catherine Hicks?
3: Oh, she's so sweet. She's just right. the nicest lady ever. You know, just like you'd think she is. She's exactly like you think she is. That's So lovely. Cause she-
1: she met her husband on that show, didn't she? On <laughs> that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the net. I mean, I know she didn't come back for any of the um, sequels, but we'll take that.
2: Show. <laughs> <laughs> and there's been so many.
1: Yeah. The whole
2: franchise now.
1: Though her son's come back for all of them. The one who played her son, he's come back for the movie. Oh, now. yeah. So, uh
2: huh. So yeah. He's gone cold. I've full actually circle. never seen the movie,
3: but hmm. yeah. <laughs> Um, just I don't like horror movies they scare me I just,
1: it's too scary for me I just remember going I was living in Chicago I just finished uni and I was in Chicago and um, went to go see it and you came on I was like all excited everyone's going looking at me like hey, what's going what's wrong with you <laughs> <Sign> that <up>. <laughs> <laughs> and my second thought was what's she doing in this <laughs> <laughs> but, i darling, was
3: thinking at the time too like what am i doing <laughs> in this at the at the time i had done a movie called bloodhounds of broadway yeah. which i would gotten paid no money for none of us had but it was like this insane cast with madonna and jennifer gray and matt Dillon and randy played who at the time was sane and um and so it was like we couldn't believe we were doing this movie but it paid nothing. And then I had this audition for Child's Play, which I thought, well, no one will go see this, but I can make 20 grand and you know, put that in the bank. So Bloodhounds of Broadway disappeared, never made it out to, to, to the theaters because it was kind of a disaster. And Child's Play was like, oh. no <laughs> <It's> like, huh? <laughs> boy, do I not understand well it's a
1: bit like um betsy palmer um who plays jason's mother in the first friday 13th she's like she's like her car broke down she goes well i need a new car okay well they i got this no one's ever gonna see this no
3: one's ever gonna see this
1: (laughs) and she goes and it haunted her to the end of her life (laughs)
3: yeah
1: exactly (laughs) now this actually led us to going back to tv working with Susan harris again with Empty Nest, which was a yeah. spinoff of The Golden Girls, and you got to work. You got to work um, with Richard Mulligan again. Um, yeah. So, how did you? Um, did you have to audition, or did they ask you? To yeah, I had time?
3: to audition. Not only did I have to audition, I got a lecture from them before. They said, "If you do this part, <laughs> 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 they were a little concerned about my my uh, self discipline in you know, if the show ran a long time and me showing up, because in the old soap days, you know, I was still quite a party girl. And uh, yeah. so they they were a little concerned about my behavior. And um, I assured them <laughs> that I was now a very well-behaved, disciplined actress and um, that I would, uh, that I would give. All my- grown
2: up. I was
3: all <laughs> grown up and, um, <laughs> And, uh, and that I would give my soul to play this part because I felt that part was written for me. I just mm. thought there's no one who could do this but me. And I was right. It, it really was mine. And,
2: um,
3: and I had such a good time playing her.
2: You all had such great chemistry. I
3: had such a good time playing her. And it came at such a good time. It came in my life at a time when I was ready to have fun acting, when I was no longer intimidated or self-conscious or self-obsessed or, you know, I'm a little self-obsessed, (laughs) but not in the way that I had been, you know, where I was really present for the experience of being with Richard, of being with Christy, you know, and, and getting to, it was like a great dance, you know, getting to work off of each other with really good material, um, especially in the first couple of years when when the first writing staff was was there. And um, I had a blast, and I'm I am so grateful for those seven years. I grew up a lot, I learned a lot, um, I did some you know work that I'm proud of, some you know some I could have not. Some I could have done better, but but it was great. It was great, and Richard was Richard was the menschiest mensch of all time. I I loved him with all my being, and uh, he was a great captain of that ship.
2: He was very he also, talented. Yeah, you
1: also got to direct a couple episodes. Yeah. Did you enjoy the experience of directing?
3: Yeah. I was planning to make a career out of it. I, I directed four or six. I can't remember. Um, they, they let me direct because they saw by year five, I was going crazy. It was too many scenes around the pitching table for me. And I was like, I was bored, you know, and, and restless. And, and they came to me and, and offered me the chance because they, they knew because I was always telling them how I, the go. <laughs> anyway, so I said, let's channel that energy into something productive. And um, and I loved directing. It came really naturally to me, especially uh, the four camera uh, uh four camera uh tape was easy where you snap the scenes. It was really fun
2: for me. And uh you could and tell. You could tell you enjoyed it because love, you know, love- especially your scenes with Christy McNichol or you know, I think what was the? There was one episode I think that you were supposedly slept with Charlie.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, and I are, he and I are still really good friends, as are Chris and I. We we yeah, keep- I'm
2: glad. We each she other. kind of yeah, we kind of miss her. You know, looks like she settled for family and quiet. Huh? Yeah.
3: Well, she um you know, Christy very openly and very honestly uh, battled with uh, with bipolar disorder. And she found that the stress of the show at a certain point was not conducive to her health. And mm-hmm. um she was very wise to put her to put her health first. Yeah. And she stopped acting. I mean she doesn't act she hasn't acted since. No. Mm. Um, I
1: also think um... She's part of that whole pussy child actor and everything like this. That oh, she yeah. had to keep up so much of herself hidden away that yes. now yeah. she probably can just be herself and live her life and do whatever yeah. she feels she wants her life to go. So there's a lot more freedom. Yeah. Line, yeah. I she,
3: she's one of the coolest humans. She blurbed my book.
1: She's, she's she blurbed
2: it. You did a blurb for me on the book. Mm. She loved the book. I actually have her album. Yeah, I did. do actually. If there is anybody no, was, that has done anything, a soundtrack or, you know, he's probably got Captain Kirk's album somewhere, you know, <laughs> the thing is, he's got them it, all.
1: <laughs> she's saying he's so fine and you were leader of the pack. So there is a bit of a chemistry there.
2: She did gonna... the Pirates of Penzance. That was like one of my favorite movies. It really was when I was young. The I love that yeah. movie. <laughs> But you did, you, I had to ask because I had read in a couple of different places that your your mother is also Oscar and award uh, actress. She appeared on one episode and you guys had worked together for the first time and it didn't seem like it was really that good of an experience for both of you. Yeah, it just it
3: wasn't a great, it wasn't one of our better scripts, actually, and um so my mom felt kind of hung out to dry and I felt very wow. co to, you know, you know how that shit goes. Yeah. little <laughs> yeah. family of origin stuff kind of rearing its ugly head on the set of Empty Nest.
2: That was <laughs> yeah. Was,
3: that was what happened. And, you know, we, we've worked together in other ways that have been more
2: satisfying. Right. Well, that's Lee Grant, you know, she's quite an icon as well. And there was another icon I needed to ask you a story about it was B Arthur. Something about bubblegum chewing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> she was such a pain in the ass. <laughs> oh, my God. You be be B had a. Um, a rule over on the golden Girls set. You know, we were a crossover. We were, we were golden girls and then we would do all these crossover episodes. So, so um, on one of my uh, crossover episodes, I went over and, and I was chewing gum and someone said, Oh my God, don't let B see you. I'm like, (laughs) what? And they said, chewing gum. And they were like shaking. You know, I was like, "Uh, really? So of course, because my nature is then to see what happens if I want to be. Because <laughs> I kind of couldn't resist. I mean, like, what was the worst thing that was going to happen? She was going to kick me off the stage and I'd walk across back to our stage? I mean, really? You know, how bad could it be? So I just kept on going and chewing gum. And sure enough, boy, she just started to, what are you doing? Spit that gum out right now, she said. And I said, uh, "Really? What? What is it about? Just spit it out!" She said. <laughs> so I went and spit the gum out. But it was uh, it was very interesting quirk.
2: But she came over to Empty Nest, and you were chewing gum, and she asked you to take it out again, or something like that. I'm sure that happened, but I don't remember.
3: I am absolutely sure that happened, and I'm sure <laughs> you said no. Me, I'm sure it was me provoking her because I just <laughs> couldn't resist. <laughs> I, like, I really, liked me a lot. I liked her very, very much and, um, you know, had such respect for her talent. Yeah,
2: you know, she was but, all the girls at Golden Girls. That was that was just quite the run. I mean, I mean it was
3: fun going over there and still, I still no,
2: watch them no. <laughs> still watch it.
3: It still became a regular on our show. And we got yeah. to be very, very close while she was uh,
2: with us. It was kind of weird how the pilot worked out, though, because you had Rita Moreno and the doctor that didn't have time for. You know why the doctor didn't have time for Rita Moreno? I mean, one will probably never know. (laughs) But it didn't really end up like that. It kind of took a totally different form. He didn't have time for
3: Rita Moreno because Angie Dickinson was coming in season two. Oh,
2: is that how it works out? I just made that up. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, I'd be going there.
1: <laughs> I mean, Golden Girls is quite an interesting thing because, I mean, you've had basically it's three iconic actresses, wasn't it? Uh, and yeah. uh, Estelle Getty, I don't I didn't know too much about what she did before, but I mean, you had three iconic previous TV show actresses, you know, right. you know, Bea Arthur, Maude, you know, and oh, yeah. of course. You know, Betty Betty White and the Mary Tyler Moore show and Rune McCallaghan did Maude and various other things. So it's so we here
2: for Betty
3: White still or <laughs> No, I haven't seen Betty in years. No, I haven't seen Betty
1: in years. No. Okay, so what we're gonna do is um then from there you did um various um films. I was gonna ask you one more um where you did a um, guest appearance was in Blossom because you got to work with your your first love on TV, um, Danny and Blossom. What was that like working on working on that show?
3: I don't have much memory of it.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it was a week's work, wasn't it? for I can imagine. I, sort of thing. You know,
3: those but, those little you know, guest spots were so. You know, I mean, you'd walk in, you'd walk out, basically. I don't, re- I don't really remember it being much.
2: But yeah. you tell me, hey. what did I do? What did yeah. I do? You had nurses too. You did two episodes on that. Yeah. So no, well, no, no. In blossom,
3: you that whatsoever. Yeah.
1: In, <laughs> in blossom, you came. You came across as I can't remember blossom's father's character name. Right. But you came across um, for It's like you kind of dated him for like a, You know. You know where they go. You go on a date. It might go into something, and that character's never seen again. One of those episodes. <laughs> so, yeah, so.
3: I clearly was did not make a big impression in my mind. Although I do remember yeah. Mayim coming over to our set. Um, and I loved her. I mean, she was a little kid then and she was already extraordinary. There was no question that she was like, whoa, be, you know, like yeah. off the charts. Brilliant. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, you can see that in Beaches when she's playing young Bette Midler. I mean, you're yeah. like.
2: Amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Now you now you're a writer and you got a book coming out. So you want to tell yeah. us about what your book's I um,
2: do, I do. What
1: I do want
3: to I have a novel coming out called the real true Hollywood story of Jackie gold. It is not a memoir. It is fiction and um, loosely based on some of my experiences, of course, but, um, but no, this is a, this is a novel that was inspired um, by the death of uh, princess Diana at the hands of the paparazzi. Yeah. And at the time when I came up with the idea this was pre-cell phones when I was acting and the paparazzi were showing up at my house um, with cameras and I felt very violated and invaded. And, uh, and it set me to thinking about what if it had been a big movie star um, who, who had um, uh, been pursued by the paparazzi and wound up in the hospital in a coma. Right. And so that's the book. The book is this very big movie star is in the hospital having uh, uh, jumped off a balcony to get away from the paparazzi. She's in a coma. She recounts her life story from the hospital bed. It is funny and, um, and also touching and, um, and it goes back and forth between her life um, and how she wound up there uh, in present day. And it, also deals with uh, her fight for her life in the hospital, and so um, it took me a long time to write it. You know, I I happen to have three boys um, at various times over the last you know twenty years, and so uh, um, so writing was on and off and on and off for me, and um, and it's got a release date July twentieth now with a Excellent. wonderful publisher, Star Alley Publishing, and and. Um, Did you enjoy
1: the writing process?
3: I love writing. I I love I love it um, so much that I had to not do it because it was really interfering with my parenting. Because at a certain point. I was like, go away. Mommy's writing. (laughs) Not the kind of children I wanted to raise. So, so I stopped, you know, I I really did put it on hold for a long time and, um, and came back to it when they were like saying to me, go away, you know, I'm watching television. So like, Oh, mommy's writing. So that's what I did.
1: Mm -hmm. And do you think you'll be doing some more writing for in the future?
3: I hope so. You know, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with this book. I have another book that I'm, you know, playing around with and, um, Excellent. Show you the real true Hollywood story of Jackie Gold. By, uh,
2: That's why you probably have to tell everybody. It's not a real story. Yeah. Kind of sort of. Yeah. Cause it looks like something that could kind of be real.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> and Excellent. pre-orders for Kindle are available now you're saying?
3: Yes, pre-orders for Kindle are available on Amazon and um, my website, dynamanoff.org, will have links to pre-orders for the book. Um, If it's not up now, it'll be up soon because we're just in the process of getting all that organized. And um, then the official release date is July 20th and
2: you'll be able to get it
3: everywhere.
2: It will be everywhere. So glad to see well, you not slowed down that much. You still got that perky energy so that we admire so much and love oh, about you. Oh, I'm going to take a nap after this. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll I'm done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for joining us at Literary License Podcast, Diana. And we totally enjoyed it so much. And I can't wait to read your book, which... I, yes. I actually have a sneak peek of the copy of the book that your um, agent sent me. So I'm looking yeah. to read that and I'll be getting word out on that. And we will. And I can't wait to see what you have coming to us in the future.
2: Such a pleasure. Really. Thank was for having me.
3: I miss you both already.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll miss you. And we'll be looking for your future endeavors and, and be cheerleading on the side for you. Thanks. Yeah.
1: Mark. And hopefully you'll find um, writing is Rewardable is your co-actor Jennifer Salk. She said that she, yeah, writing is really once she got into writing, liberating. she said it was the best thing that she's ever done. So yeah, yeah. So okay, it's a good night from us, and we'll see you next time with the Literary License Podcast. Thank you.
2: Bye.
0: Bye, Aion. Bye. Bye. No, I'm not doing very well. i built a lot of dreams, but they fell down too bad too. Yes, it's true. Never thought he'd say goodbye But when the music changed I felt the magic die Oh why, oh why We were standing at the top But the panic wouldn't stop And the chapel of love fell down With the English beat all around Barely hanging on You know the fear rushed in When the innocence was gone It was gone Can't go you wanna be with you mama you always knew how to help me daddy i miss you wanna be with you wish you could come back just for a little oh mama i'm breaking please take me and hold me in your arms tonight and daddy i'm shaking please wake me